Welcome to the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. I'm Kyle Brost, a strategist and changemaker. I'm the CEO of Spark Policy Institute, founder and principal at Choice Strategy Group, and contributor to Forbes, Thrive Global, and Influencer. I lead at the intersection of strategy and impact, where I turn ordinary individuals into strategists and changemakers. Let's get started. Welcome to the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. I'm Kyle Brost. We have a special guest on today that I am personally really excited to talk to. His name is Jeremy Slate. Um, Let's jump right into this. And the interesting thing about this is Jeremy and I have been connected on Facebook for a little while, so I've been able to follow some of his journey. But uh, Jeremy, can you tell the audience a bit about yourself before we get into our discussion? Absolutely. I am uh, the host of the Create Your Own Life podcast, the co-founder of Command Your Brand Media. And uh, we are, uh, my wife and I are huge dog lovers. So we have two of those and also a uh, miniature pig as well. Nice. Nice. A miniature pig. Huh? How'd you get into that? Um, my wife had been begging me um, through all the time we've been dating. So we've been together for like um, like eight years. And the first five years we were together, she's like, pig, please. And I'm like, no, pig, please, no. So um, for our first wedding anniversary, I went and got her a pig and she was like ecstatic. Um, and it's funny because it's not what you expect. They are like the coziest creatures in the entire world. Um, he just hangs out on the couch and sleeps. <laughs> Sounds a lot like me. No, sure that, <laughs> that's probably, probably what my wife would say. <laughs> that's cool. So uh, you mentioned your, your podcast, The Create Your Own Life. Can you tell me or us a bit about that? Absolutely. So it's, I've done 350 episodes. Um, it was ranked, uh, like top 26 podcasts listened to by CIO this year. And I've got to talk with some really, really cool people. Um, Grant Cardone, uh, modest Yahoo recently, Sean Merriman, which is really cool. So I, I get to learn from people that have really created life on a high level. And, and what I mean is like they, t- they looked at traditional route and it didn't really work out for them and they wanted to kind of do things their own way. And the reason is because that really aligns in a large way with my own story of how I thought I was going to be a college professor and all these other things and, and go figure now I'm helping people get booked on podcasts and doing a lot in the marketing world. Awesome. So a couple of things. The first one is, man, I mean, you have the chance to talk with all of these incredible people. What are some of the lessons you've learned from that experience? From the experience of starting a podcast or from the experience of starting a brand? Uh, well, the experience of, of talking to all of these people, I mean, what have you learned? Are there consistent themes that have kind of surfaced as you're talking to all of these successful individuals? Well, here's the the kind of the first thing of it is just kind of what I got out of it. And that was like, I feel like I have much better conversations with people because I learned to become a really good listener by talking to that many people. And you, you actually learn to ask way more insightful questions. So that's kind of one, like just kind of like what I personally got out of it. Um, but there's also like the biggest thing I've learned is like this idea between being self-determined and being able to be determined for a group and all the entrepreneurs that I've talked to that are like successful on a very high level, they kind of go out of this area of being able to be just determined for themselves and putting food on the table and more to an area of being able to really like control and run groups, but for their, you know, for the good of them. Like, for example, like they do a lot for like feeding the hungry. They do a lot for, you know, anti-drug education. They do a lot for like, they, they really are the people that kind of change the world because they look at it in a very, very different way. They're able to look at it more than just their own survival. 
I like that. I like that a lot. I love the idea of listening, but also this way that you see the world. You know, we spend a lot of time when we're talking about strategic reaction in how you see the situation or how you see the world and how when you shift that, it really changes all of the options that are available to you. You know, if you see a situation as just being uh, a challenge or you see it as, you know, um, being a problem, then you frame it that way and it, it really dictates the kind of choices that you have. But when you change that perception of the world and of the situation, it opens up a whole bunch of other options for how you respond to that. Well, and there's also this whole idea of like you get what you put your attention on, right? If you if you put your attention on um, hard work, you're going to get more hard work that may not be rewarding. If you put your attention on positive things, you're, you're going to get more positive things. So I think it's really figuring out like what are those main kind of like pro survival points you can put attention on and how, how you can help other people through that. And it, it's kind of interesting because money kind of has its way of finding, you know, people that put their, their actions towards things that help other people survive. Well, you, you know what I mean? Like you look at what a lot of people are doing and the people that have made a lot of money for the, for the most part, you know, there's the Bernie Madoffs of the world and people like that, but they're really people that have made other people's lives better in an amazing way. And that's why they're able to like have such abundance on it. Like, you know, like a Richard Branson or like an Elon Musk or somebody like that. Yeah, for sure. You know, it aligns really well with some conversations we've had about really creating value and that profit doesn't always align with the actual value creation. You know, there's plenty of ways that you can go make money, but are you really creating value in the stuff that you're doing? That, that's a huge deal though, man, because I, I, I think that's the biggest thing, like especially in the online space right now, like a lot of people are selling like high ticket items that don't really have any value to other, anyone other than themselves. And I, I think that's something you really have to put into consideration because that's a really short term window. You're going to be able to do something like that. Well, uh, absolutely. hundred percent agree. So as part of your experience in, in the podcast and interviewing these people, there's been implications to your own journey. So, you know, you learned some stuff, but tell us about what that, how you've pulled those things into your own experience, your own businesses, your own projects. Well, I've actually kind of built my entire life around podcasting now. And, and that's the kind of the crazy part. Like, it's not something I expected at all. Um, you know, like my original goal was to be a college professor, but I didn't get into the PhD program I wanted. I uh, went through a, a bunch of entrepreneurial things to, you know, really figure out what I wanted to do before I kind of gave up and ended up in digital marketing and started my podcast from there. So interestingly enough, like I built my whole life around something that I really loved. Like I've been a listener for years and years and years. And it's almost like getting to go to a school, um, like quite often, you know, all over again and, and kind of be a teacher in a different way. Cause I, I structure my show where I do like, um, eight hours of interviews every other Friday. Um, that way I don't have to like spend all this time doing interviews just two days a month. Um, but those days are really cool. Like I get to learn so much from people that have like achieved so much. And the thing I end up doing is I, I feel like too many times you can mix messages, right? Like when you listen to you know, you're reading this person, you're reading that person. So the thing I tend to look at is I look at what all these guys are doing that they have in common. And to me, that's truth, right? It's the truth is what, you know, really looks good for the most of the group. And that's really where I'm able to kind of find out, you know, what, I, how I can do things better, how I can put those things into my life. Because a lot of times these, you, you get people that are almost like, you know, junkies on, on personal development and um, all these different things where they're going to go to this conference and that conference and buy this product. So for me, it's kind of discerning number one, like 
what am I learning from these people and how can I kind of mix down that messages to things that match? Because if you're trying to take everybody's message, you're not going to go anywhere. And, and the other thing is like, I, you know, I, I've built my business around this. I've, I have a business that has helped people get on hundreds of podcasts at this point. So it, it's really been kind of cool having a little been able to uh, build my life around something I really enjoy. That's really interesting. I mean, it's such a, a big departure from headed toward a PhD uh, to now, you know, being on on podcasts and facilitating podcasts. So tell us about, I mean, you said that you were applied for a PhD program. You didn't get into it. What was the program that you applied to? You know, what was your interest in that? And how did you react when you found out that you didn't get in? Well, here, here's the funnier part um, for, for most people. Like they see me and I'm like, like I, I look like I could be a professional bodybuilder. So like, okay, he's not that smart. But then again, um, I have a degree, undergrad degree in world religions. Um, I studied literature at a new college, Oxford. And um, have a master's degree in ancient history. It's like all this stuff does not wow. match up at all, yeah, right? I, I took Latin for twelve years, so it's like <laughs> it's really it's really odd when people hear all this stuff. Um, so the, the stupid thing I did though is I was kind of living somebody else's dream. Like my parents, like not not that I didn't enjoy history, I absolutely love it. I'm such a nerd on it. But the I, the reason I was doing teaching was because my parents wanted to be teachers, and neither of them went to college, so I was just kind of like living what was their dream. And I didn't really try that hard. I applied to one PhD program, which was NYU. I didn't get in. And you know, the funny thing was, I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. And it was supposed to be this thing I was working my whole life towards, which was the funnier part. So it's like, all right, you have a degree in history. You don't have a teaching background. Like, what do you do, dude? And, And that's why I actually ended up teaching in private school because um, in New Jersey, if you don't have a teaching certificate, you know, you're not teaching in the place where you actually like make decent money, which is public school. Um, you're teaching in private school, which is almost like asking people if they'd like fries with that. So, <laughs> y- you know what I mean? Like it, it was kind of this really like weird place to be in, but it didn't really irk me like it should have because it wasn't really my dream. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think I had a little bit of the opposite experience. So, you know, you were kind of living this, following this path that uh, maybe your parents wanted vicariously. And I kind of rebelled against the path that my family had taken and and said, I'm like, I'm going to do the complete opposite. I'm going to get as far away from it as I can. Uh, But that always fascinates me how different people have their own journey to getting where they, where they really want to be. Well, it's, it's interesting though, too, because I think my parents were like, when I rejected that, like, um, you know, whole being a teacher thing, like to them, that was like the ultimate thing you could ever do because I went to college and I did all this great stuff. So I actually did once I jumped into entrepreneurship was almost like rejecting it for them. Well, so when did that rejection come? I mean, at, at what point you didn't get into NYU, you're teaching at a private school. What point does the shift happen where you say, you know what, I've got to do something different than just teach? Well, uh, here, let's backtrack a little bit. At 19 years old, I had um, what was supposed to be a day in and day out knee surgery. Um, it was like the one where they do like the uh, cadaver ligaments. So unless you're unless you're Tom Brady, it goes pretty easily. Um, I, I <laughs> he, he got a whole infection from it. But then I got I had an issue where my anesthesia didn't go well and um I actually spent three days on life support and got last rights at 19. Oh, geez. And it didn't, it, you know what the crazy part is, is people hear that, you know, there should be trumpets, the heavens should open and your life's going to change and nothing got different. I was just like, all right, I'll, I'll keep living somebody else's dream. That sounds good to me. And it wasn't until 24 when my mom had a massive stroke. Um, it was probably one of the scariest experiences of my life. Um, 
I didn't think we were going to have her for my wedding, but we got, we got lucky enough to, to have her. And, wow. and, um, she lost all her language skills. She has something called a uh, acute global aphasia. Um, she's unable to use, um, the right side of her body, but they kind of like fashion this brace so that she can like kind of walk. Um, so it, it, once it wasn't, it was somebody else and it wasn't connected to me. I was kind of like, okay, wow. Okay. What do I want to do with my life? Cause I could end up like that. You know, then that was kind of, kind of exactly what happened. Like, because it wasn't me, but somebody close to me, it had an effect on me when it was me, it had no effect on me. Um, and that's when I kind of started looking at, at other options. And the first jump for me was, um, my, my wife was approached about a network marketing opportunity. I had no idea what that was. I saw this presentation. I was like, Oh, million bucks tomorrow. This would be great. <laughs> and and needless to say that million dollars never came. I, I don't know if they still yeah. owe it to me or what. Um, but it was at least good enough to get me to do something else. And, and that's, um, though it was kind of a rough experience, I'm, I'm grateful for it in that way. It taught me a lot of business skills right off the bat. It's kind of like a boot camp and also got me to do very well with rejection very quickly because people say some really nasty things to you when you're trying to, you know, get them to join you on your opportunity. So, um, sure. it was kind of a good boot camp to get me moving, went through a bunch of different stuff before, you know, I really got into digital marketing and, and kind of ended up where I am now. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, you've had these, these pretty intense situations in life. I mean, that's a, a big deal when you're on the operating table and, and things aren't going as they're supposed to be going. Right. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you know, obviously the, the challenges with your mom, that's, that's, uh, I can only imagine how difficult that would be. That was a really like emotionally overpowering experience. And it's, when it first happened, there's like kind of like this three day period of my life that I just, I really just don't remember. Um, because it just was such high stress. I feel like I just kind of blocked it out. Yeah. So what was it? How did you come out of that? I mean, I'm sure that there are still remnants, right? I mean, these really dramatic experiences always attached to us some way, but how did you pull out of that three day period and move forward at using it as motivation? Hmm. Um, it was really kind of not something that sunk in right away. You, you know what I mean? I'd, li I'd like to say it did, but it didn't because I was kind of very sullen for quite a while. Like I was very like depressed about it. And it was really kind of this realization of I could have taken any opportunity at that point in time. Like somebody could have been like, all right, so I'm going to teach you how to sell fish. And I'd be like, all right, I'm in. Because I really was just, I was so miserable about my life. I just was, it was almost like a wake up call for me. And it took me like three months to find something like I would have grabbed anything if you had offered it to me. So it really didn't matter. I was just kind of in the right place to receive something at that point in time. Do you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. It is interesting. Um, we all have something that, that cues us, right? And it's some for some people, it's this really immediate thing that happens. And some people, it happens gradually over time. So it sounds like some of your experience has been a lot of iteration. Um, if I'm, if I'm reading into it, right, where you maybe started kind of doing something and you just built slowly on those things. I haven't heard of like this big pivotal moment. I've heard of these kind of iterations. Yeah. I, I kind of hate it when people say, what's that moment where you transform? I'm like, there isn't one. You know what I mean? Like life is a series of living and it's a series of events that makes us who we are. You know what I mean? Like I, it, there is not like as much as people want to be like, so there was this point when I was living on my sister's couch and da, 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 da. like, like people have their stories like so set in this like perfect, this is exactly what happened. And that's just, that's not how life works. Life is a process of living. And we today are a, 
you know, we're the combination of a series of events that we have experienced through, you know, a number of years. Like that's what makes us who we are. We can try and point to one thing so we can sell you our $97 product, but like, that's just not how it works. Yeah. I've had the same experience, you know, well, obviously we all have where every, every new thing just adds on itself. Right. And it's not one massive event. We, I talk about these really big strategic shifts, but the idea is that people have a lot of strategic shifts in their life. It's not like one that just happens. And now my life is set for the next 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, I have one this year, but guess what? I'm probably going to have another one in six months or another one in 18 months. So one of the things that I like to communicate, especially to younger people, you know, somebody who's just turning 18 or just coming out of high school so many of them want to know what's the direction of my life? What, how do I get this purpose? But understanding that you're going to have a bunch of moments throughout life. What would you tell somebody who is at that point, who's you know really hungering for purpose and direction while you know that there's going to be a bunch of different pivots and shifts throughout life? What advice would you give them? The biggest thing is just remaining consistent. You know what I mean? Like being able to like handle like what life's going to throw at you. Cause I think so many times people are like thrown off by one little thing that happens to them. And if you look at a lot of people that have a lot of success, like Thomas Edison failed a thousand times and then made a light bulb. Nikola Tesla failed his, failed his whole life actually, and didn't see success with what he did until after he died. You, you know what I mean? So it's like, you have to be able to be consistent and that's how you're going to see success in life. You, you, you got to kind of get, allow your, allow yourself to be able to get beat up a bit, Kyle, you, you know what I mean? And like, be okay with that and not take everything personal and be able to know where you're heading. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing is being able to know when you're heading. Like you're, you're talking about telling telling somebody that's, you know, 18, 19 years old what to say about that. And I, you know what the, I think the problem is sometimes is like we don't really know what we want to do at 18 or 19, right? Like like did you did you know what you were going to do the rest of your life at 18 or 19? Because I, I sure as hell didn't. And, and, no, and, I, I don't even know what I want to do with my life now. <laughs> all right, let's let's do that. Um, but, <laughs> but, 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 but here's the thing. Like I'm a huge believer – in this idea of like apprenticing, like, like let's look in the middle ages, right? Like you would apprentice under a knight or a woodworker, whoever it was you're going to work with. And then you would either get into that career and be well-trained at it, or you'd say, you know what, this isn't for me. And I, and I think that's kind of something that's missing. There needs to be more of this element of kind of helping us to discern, not expecting us to make a huge life choice like that at 18 years old. I 100% agree. One of the things that I like to talk a lot about is you look at really successful people and they tend to have two things. They have a really wide breadth of experience and then they have depth in a couple of areas. And the thing that too many people miss at a young age is the breadth. So they go, you know, you, you go into school, right? And you try to narrow down your, uh, your focus and your degree and you try to become a specialist at something when you're 21 or 22, when what you really need to be doing is seeing a whole big breadth of the world. And that will help you find where you're really passionate. A lot of times passion and drive and motivation, those things happen in your periphery, not what's obvious and right in front of you. But if you're not out there experimenting and exploring and you know an apprenticeship of some sort, you're not going to see those things. You're not going to even have the 
chance of seeing something that's out there or different that you haven't even considered yet. Well, absolutely. And, and like for people listening now, like let's say if they're getting started on their journey now, like the career they're, they're doing, like when they get out of school, it may not exist yet. And I think that's just a really interesting part as well. Um, and I feel like I'm talking about it more and more just because I'm reading it right now, but I'm almost done reading this um, really cool biography of Elon Musk. And you just kind of listen to all the things that the guy did in his life. And they talked about, you know, his experience at X.com before he was, you know, before it became PayPal and how at that point in his career, he hadn't had enough life experience to be a good CEO yet and all these like different things. And you're just kind of like, you look at where somebody is now and like, that's kind of just like what we see. We don't see this like kind of mosaic of all these experiences that actually made them to be able to do what they're doing now. Well, absolutely. And, and, you know, it goes back to a point you made earlier. We, we often tell these stories in hindsight, right? And the story sounds really neat and clean. You know, we can pinpoint moments in time that we highlight. Uh, so in hindsight, when we retell the story, it sounds really neat and clean and simple. Yeah. But the reality is that it's messy and it's confusing and it's kind of all over the place. Absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more, yeah. man. Like, like we like to tell these stories that sound so beautiful in hindsight and it's just not the case at all. Well, and I think in some ways it's it's kind of destructive because we always tell these stories of entrepreneurs and their triumph. So it gives this sense that uh, I think it gives the sense that, well, geez, if I you know if I fail, like I'll triumph, and and every successful entrepreneur you know triumphs, and we tell all these triumphant stories and make them sound really amazing, but we don't focus enough on all the crap that they literally waded through to get there and be successful. Well, and here's one of the things too, is like, is like, I, I always kind of have this thought too, like sometimes are we doing it to ourselves? So we just have a better story in the future. You, you know what I mean? Like, like, do we, do we yeah, really have to fail all those times we're failing? Like, why can't we just plan a little better and do things a little better as well? <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> it's just this random. That's, that's almost, a, it's a random, it's almost offensive. It's a, it's a random <laughs> thought I get once in a while. And it's kind of like, well, are, are we actually like just creating this narrative? So we have a good story to tell later on. I don't know. Anyway. That's funny. Now you're going to make me think about all my failures. Jeez. Did I do that to myself? <laughs> it's, very, it's very meta, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's all good. So there are a couple of really key things that I'm curious to hear your perspective on. One of the things, you know, when we're talking about being younger and and what it looks like to kind of start moving forward at the age of 18 or 19 or 20, and you mentioned consistency. How does somebody stay consistent when the world we live in is is in constant flux? And I don't mean it in any sort of like political sense. I just mean we live in a world that's constantly changing. There's a lot of chaos going on in good and bad ways. How does somebody individually stay consistent when all of that's happening around them? Well, the biggest thing is like, is kind of just like what I said before is like knowing where you're going, right? Because I think a lot of times, like especially coming out of school, like we don't know where we're going. So it's really easy to get knocked off course if you're not heading towards anything at all, right? Like it's kind of like, ooh, this shiny object looks great. Ooh, this shiny object looks great. And, you know, or this person said I can't do it. Okay, I'm going to quit. It's kind of like you really need to know not even where you're heading, but the greater reason of why you're doing it. You know what I mean? I think so many people are like, okay, I want to make a million dollars. Great. Why do you want to make a million dollars? Well, because I want to take care of my family. Great. Why do you want to take care of your family? Well, because that wasn't, you know, my experience growing up. Okay. Now we've got the real why. And I think that is what you have to really look at is not just where you're going, but then why you're going there. Yeah. How, how do you, how would somebody get there? I mean, how do you define that why for you specifically? Uh, through failing a lot. So I don't recommend doing it my way. Like, you know, it was kind of like really having to try and figure out like, why the heck am I doing this? And, and it's funny because I feel like 
I was just talking to somebody about this morning. It's like it's it's not really in these moments where everything's going great when we really figure out what we're doing and you know why we're doing it and have our biggest learning experiences. It's those moments when all the crap hits the fan, man. You know, you know what I mean? Like you kind of realize what you're made of and it really made you realize, well, I definitely don't want to do that. This is where I'm headed. And I, I think a lot of times, like though it stinks and, and, and it kind of is contrary to some of what I've just said, sometimes failure can be your best teacher. Well, yeah, I mean, failure is what gives you contrast, right? I mean, if you're always successful uh, at everything you do, you have no contrast for what it means to persevere, what it means to try harder, what it means to be more resourceful, what it means to adapt. Um, so it is a, a great space for learning. I, I completely agree with that. Absolutely. Another thing you mentioned early on that that I think is so critical is this idea of listening. And sometimes we think of listening just in terms of you know what we're actually hearing, you know, from a biological standpoint. But I think the the term listening can apply much broader to just being aware of what's happening in the world around you and how other people are responding. So you mentioned earlier when we were talking about a recent shift you had in your own mm-hmm. business. Can you tell us a little bit about that shift? Totally. Um, I was the previously the co-founder of a company called um, getfeatured.com. And um, my co-founder and I just really had different missions for the directions that we wanted to go. And he would get really excited about certain things. And then I would just kind of be like, I can't have that. And it just like... I think sometimes it kind of put us a little bit at odds when it really shouldn't have because it's like he's not a bad guy, I'm not a bad guy. It's just that we had very different, you know, ways of going about things. And I think sometimes when when you're in that place, you look at where you are now and like what you already know is better than what you don't know. So you're kind of like afraid to like make that leap and just say, you know what, let's just go our separate ways and you know, let's service people, serve people the best way we know how because you're kind of like, all right, well, I'm making money now. I'm I'm doing whatever it may be. And we don't always want to look at it in such a way that we could be doing something else. So it took me quite a while to decide to do that. And it took kind of both of us quite a while to decide to do that. And now we're kind of both doing our own thing is now I'm doing the same business I was, but under, you know, a different name of command your brand. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with what I'm doing now because I'm actually getting to do exactly what I wanted to do and exactly what my mission was. But here's here's the great thing about that, that I look at that and I say, you know, this had to happen this way. And the reason it did is because, number one, I wouldn't know, you know, how I wanted to service clients differently. I wouldn't know what was possible. Like, like you know, he pushed me and I, and I do appreciate that. But, you know, we just, together, we weren't going to be able to go any further and fulfill our own personal missions. So it gets a little bit difficult in that place. And, and, you know, I, one of the funny things that you, you and I were talking before, and I said, well, in that when that transition first happened, I didn't get paid for a couple months. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that stops us because we're like, well, can I monetarily survive? Um, and you have to kind of realize, well, I've done it before. I can do it again. And you have to realize that, like, if you're building something that's going to be around a while, you, you got to be willing to take that risk sometimes. Yeah. Did you, did you know before you made the decision that it would be a couple of months before you made any money? No, I had a lot more confidence in myself. Um, well, well, no, there's, there's that, but also too, like, I think it took us a while to come to grips with that too. You know what I mean? So we couldn't move on. We were kind of stuck in this holding pattern. And, you know, once we kind of both just came to grips with, Hey, you have your mission. I have my mission. Let's serve people differently. 
Um, but there, there was a little bit of that as well. So like kind of like almost self-causing. Okay. So what led up to the final decision that said, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's actually do it. Cause I imagine there were some conversations and there was a sense of where things were going, but how did you get to the point where you were actually ready to take that step? I kind of realized it was my own fault. And I was just like, Hey man, let's just, let's just chat about it and just see what we both want to do with our lives. And once we talked about it, like, yeah, that works for you. This works for me. Great. Let's do it. It was kind of realizing that I had become a barrier to my own wanting to do what I wanted to do. And if I just confronted it and chatted about it, it would be pretty easy to fix. So it was, it was kind of, I guess, humbling myself a little bit and, and realizing that let's just take a look at it. You, you know what I mean? I think that's the thing that scares us a yeah. lot of times is, is just taking a look at it and just, just kind of seeing what's there. And, and I well, that's a big deal. I mean, the, the part of you realizing that you were your own mm-hmm. barrier, you know, the recognizing and acknowledging the role you were playing in the situation. Well, it, it, and you have to realize that, you know what I mean? Because like we create a lot of our own barriers. Like, like Kyle, if I came at you aggressively, you're going to come at me pretty aggressively, right? So like I actually, I can, I'm causing that to happen. And, and you have to kind of look at, you know, what kind of emotion you're putting on the line and what kind of things you're doing. Um, like, like, like as simple as it is, here's one of my favorite tips to get any charge on a bill that you don't want on there removed, right? It, and it's the same way you're handling this. You call them up and you say, you know, hey, cell phone company, I see this charge on my phone that I want to get removed, right? And they say, oh, well, we can't remove it. And I say, hey, I appreciate you working so hard. I totally get it. But let, let's just take a look at it again. Let's just see if we can do something. You know, you know what? I think we can get 30% off. Oh, you, you can. Okay, cool. But, you know, I really don't want to pay the whole thing. I appreciate all the hard work you've done. You're really doing a great job. Well, let's get your manager on the phone and let's talk about it together. And it's the thing we forget to do is we create a lot of those issues for ourselves. You need to validate as in like give somebody credit for what they've done, but then also position what we can do a little bit differently. And I think it's the same thing with looking at how the business direction changed is if you criticize somebody, you're going to get criticism right back. Yeah. Well, it, you know, there's this piece of people, I don't know, it's not everybody, but there's definitely a portion of the population that always positions themselves as the victim. So they're never looking for what their contribution to the situation is. And that's so destructive because as you point out, every situation you play some role in it. But if you're not actually identifying that, how do you ever grow? How do you ever actually solve the problem if you're waiting for everybody else to solve problems that you're the one actually creating? Well, and that's the thing is like, is like, it's not to say, oh my gosh, look at all this stuff I'm doing. I'm horrible. I'm causing global warming. I'm doing all this stuff. It's kind of looking at it and just kind of find your own cause point in each thing that's happened to you, right? Like, if, if somebody gets upset with you, well, are you withholding information from them that could have caused them to get upset with you? Um, have you, did you approach them in such a way that could have caused it? So you want to, and, and here's the thing, once you find your own cause point in something, you feel a little bit better about the situation. You feel more in control of the situation and you feel like you can handle it. It's absolutely. And here's the thing, right? I mean, when you recognize your own contribution, the role you play, it's that very specific thing. Now I have some ownership of it. And if I have some ownership of it, I can do something about it. I can control it. Whereas if I haven't been looking at it that way and I just feel like I'm the victim, I'll always feel like I don't have any sort of control over the situation. Absolutely. And I I think that's the biggest thing. And it kind of things resolve pretty quickly and you look at it, you're like, you know, you're not a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. We just want to do different stuff. Let's do it. Yeah. 
Well, I'm glad that it worked out. So things have been going good since that transition? Yeah, yes, because I've been able to do it like I've been able to put in the systems I want to do. I've been able to, you know, work with the people I want to work with. I've been even even like change, you know, like what we're doing a bit and add more more straight marketing for clients too into our processes. So it's it's like really kind of realizing that sometimes you have to take a couple steps forward before you can take steps back because you know in the past year we took some massive steps forward and I'll be ever grateful to him for that. But for me, it wasn't on my purpose anymore. And I needed to find out how I could get it back on my purpose. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that things are going awesome now. What about, you said for two months, you didn't make any money. What was that like? What were the thoughts and emotions going through your mind while that was happening? I mean, you just made this big shift, right? You're you're taking mm-hmm. a bet on yourself and all of a sudden uh, the results aren't there right away. Mm-hmm. Well, here, here's the one thing I did is I did have like, um, I had a production business as well, where I had one small client there. So that was enough to kind of like cover basic costs, which was really good. That's why I always recommend don't have one income source. Um, but here's the thing, man, like it's also tough because the biggest thing you have to realize is when you're getting on a sales call, then is you can't show up in a place of, I need you, I need you, I need you, because people can feel that. And that brought me right back to my network marketing days where I needed everybody I talked to. So you have to kind of compartmentalize that 15 or 30 minute call, whatever it may be, and say, okay, for this 30 minutes, I'm just going to be present for this person and serve this person and figure out how I can help them. And it really does change the situation. But, you know, it it takes a couple of those to kind of get back in that mode. But since I had already been there, and and like you mentioned, being a combination of our experiences, I had already been to that place before. I was trying to just get myself back there. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that, you know, you can't go in kind of like this desperate person who's like, I need your business. I need your business. Uh, In one of the previous episodes, I talked about my own experience there when I had made my first company was a commercial commercial carpet cleaning business. And I was initially cleaning carpet for college kids, but I was, you know, charging pennies on the dollar because they were college kids. And I wasn't paying my bills or anything. So I started trying to go after larger companies like real estate management companies and hotel chains. And I, you know, called all of these people trying to schedule meetings, you know, cold calling all these people. And I was getting really desperate because I wasn't making any money and I needed more money. And finally, I got this meeting with a real estate management company and I go in and, uh, I'm, I'm putting a bid on, but I am so desperate to get the business that I give him a bid that's 15 cents per square foot when the going rate at the time was 25 cents per square foot. And I'm like, there's no way he's going to turn this down, you know? And, and I didn't even, I didn't even think about how it would be perceived. So I hand him the quote and he literally looked at it for like two or three seconds and he just handed it right back to me and he goes, I don't want you to charge me so little. You can't do a good job. Have a good day. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm standing there. I'm like, holy crap, my whole approach, you know, this desperation of mine isn't getting me anywhere. And so obviously I had to to reevaluate how I was doing that. But I think it was exactly what you're saying. You know, I was going in with it with this sense of desperation. And people can see that because I'm not trying to actually serve their needs. I'm not trying to create value. I'm just trying to solve my own need. And it really like, I don't know, like it feels slimy, right? Like you, you, you can perceive it in the air and the, and feel it in the energy around you. Like, it's, I, I guess it's hard to describe unless you've been there, but you can totally feel it. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, in hindsight, I'm sure that he could, I was too young and naive or, you know, stupid to know the difference other than, you know, this isn't working. So I'm going to have to try something else. So that's interesting. 
So where do you see yourself going now? I mean, you've made a big transition. You're starting to uh, develop, a, you know, a really good reputation, especially in the podcast space. Where do you see yourself going now? You know, I, I don't really see any huge changes in the future. I'm really just concerned about, you know, 2018, which I really want to build up our services more. I want to start offering, you know, more marketing for our clients. And towards the end of the year, we are going to offer um, like some sort of a course teaching them how to get on podcasts, um, just because I, I feel like that is a really valuable thing to learn. And it kind it's kind of going to let us solve, uh, you know, ser- serve another market. You know what I mean? It's going to let us serve a couple different markets because it, it's interesting. I, I ended up talking to uh, Scott Oldford about this not too long ago. And um, he gives great advice, by the way, if nobody's checked him out. And um, he said, the thing you have to realize is every company needs that like single residual income product. Because he goes, not everybody that buys your, a, a low percentage of people that ever buy your course are ever going to be like a done for you service client, but it allows you to, you know, fill your funnel and also serve a couple of different publics at once. So if changes in the economy do occur, you're prepared for it. Yeah. So people can look forward to that course coming out. You said late 2018? Yeah, late 2018. It's not, it's not like an immediate thing that like we're concerned about doing right now. We really just want to make sure we had the best systems in place to serve our clients even better. Sure. Very cool. So as we're wrapping up here, what, uh, what one or two things would you have people know before we close up? I would recommend if they haven't checked out the book, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, that they totally do so. Because this actually, it's another thing you mentioned before was um, not always following your passion, finding something you're good about and getting really good at it so you become even more passionate about it. And I just, to me, that's kind of some of the best advice I've ever received and why I love that book. Awesome. How, how have you been applying it? So, I mean, it's a piece that hits home for you. How have you been applying it lately? Well, for me early on, it was realizing, well, no matter how good at history I get, uh, you know, you know how passionate about history I am, I, I'm not gonna, it's never really going to pay the bills. So I'm like, what am I good at? I'm good at solving problems. Okay. How can I solve problems? Well, you know what? I can learn to code websites and get really good at that. And I can solve really interesting problems. And it was kind of the more high level of that is kind of where, what brought me to where I am now. But it was really looking for what problems could I solve because my real skill is my ability to quickly solve problems. I love it. It's so, I mean, problem solving is obviously a huge uh, component of, I mean, you can apply that in so many different spaces. And so being able to leverage it and really focus on that opens up a lot of doors, which we've heard. Um, well, and that's the one thing though, as, as, as I will say, is like, is like there, there's something called IQ that, you know, like having a high IQ is great, but there's also this idea of aptitude, right? The ability to learn something quickly, apply it and do it. And I value aptitude, like I value IQ, but I value aptitude way more than I value that because you can be smart as anything, but have no idea how to like learn quickly and apply it quickly. And that was even something um, when I spoke to Jeff Hoffman from the former co-founder of Priceline. And um, I asked him about that too. What do you value most in um, an employee. And without a doubt, he said, um, aptitude right off the bat. And just to me, that, that ability is so valuable. It is. And, and even in my own business, that's one of the first things we look for. We don't call it aptitude, but we actually, uh, evaluate people on ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. So I think it stems from the same thing, right? There's one thing that you can learn something really well, but can you apply it and adapt it based on what's happening? Um, and so we look at something for our own hires in that same space. Awesome. Uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. I, I have really enjoyed the conversation. Um, you gave us some great points and, and tips and got to hear a lot about your story. Um, if people want to find out more, if they want to see what you're up to, where should they go? 
Well, first of all, if they haven't seen you in the New York Times, they got to check you out, man. Super well done. So um, <laughs> it's a huge congrats because that's not an easy thing to get for, for those people listening. Like that is one of the hardest publications to get into. So in the New York Times, you're a big deal, man. So con- uh, congrats you. on that. But also uh, they can find me over at jeremyryanslate.com or I also put together a checklist that teaches them how to be an awesome podcast guest. Um, you can find that over at commandyourbrand.media slash checklist. Awesome. Thanks again, Jeremy. Really appreciated it. Um, For everybody listening, this is the Art of Strategic Reaction. Thanks so much for listening.